Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf here. I will be going solo today to talk about the Knicks 125 to 109 loss to the Philadelphia 76ers at home. Talking about a lot of different things. Like, first off, that this game was not particularly fun to watch, thanks to it basically being a free throw contest between the two teams. Talk about RJ Barrett, though, and how he's sort of carving out his own niche in, in that regard, getting better at drawing free throws. A great game for Emmanuel quickly a productive outing for Jericho Sims, and a really interesting lineup that I'm hoping to see more of going forward. All that's coming up next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. Also, want to thank you all for making Locked On Knicks your first listen every day. Whether you're listening on your favorite podcast platform or you start checking us out on YouTube, we appreciate you guys tuning in every single day. I am, of course, Alex Wolf. I'm editor in chief of Knicks site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land and I'm going to be going over this one by myself today. No Gavin today. We're taking a little, uh, little, little taking turns, you know, doing some solo episodes here, having other people on, getting some different perspectives in. But I'm going to be just doing this one solo today, breaking down the Knicks 125 to 109 loss to the Sixers at home. I mentioned in the, the tease before I got going here, this game was really not all that fun to watch. Uh, 44 free throws for the Sixers, that included 27. For Joel Embiid and 10 for James Harden compared to 35 for the Knicks, which actually is a pretty respectable total for the Knicks. Uh, 10 for RJ Barrett, 12 for Julius Randle. The big difference, uh, you know, that once again, you could argue cost the Knicks a game. The Sixers wind up hitting 39 of 44 of their attempts, which is 89% for those of you keeping track at home. The Knicks hit just 22 of 35, which is 63%. Uh, so if you know the Knicks had managed to hit all of their free throws, you're looking at a situation where this may be a three-point game down the stretch and not uh, one where the Knicks had basically just thrown in the towel uh, going down the, the stretch of this game. Instead, they end up you know, in what looked on the surface, if you're just looking at the score, to be a blowout. But in reality, it was not that bad. Like They, were, they actually managed to keep things fairly close throughout this game, had some good defensive sequences, certainly had some good offensive sequences. Uh, so it's, you know, it's it's disappointing to see the Knicks still struggling to make their free throws like that and, and ultimately having it cost them the game. Uh, I might be biased, though, but I found at least R.J. Barrett's brand of generating fouls was a little more aesthetically pleasing than what was going on for most of this game. You know, Joel Embiid and James Harden, I feel like spend most of the game just trying to generate rip throughs and and are more looking to get fouled than trying to make a shot. Uh, Julius Randle sometimes goes through that as well, although I think the Heat tends to go up strong fairly often. But RJ pretty much all the time is trying to finish an attempt. 
Uh, he's not just doing the flail. He's not just, you know, trying to throw it in the general direction of the basket. I mean, he's trying to finish every single one of his attempts. And, it, you know, I think he's doing a pretty good job as far as, you know, getting to the the paint and, you know, putting something up that has a chance of going in while also now learning how to generate enough contact to get those foul calls and get himself, you know, again, 10 free throw attempts in this game, which is a great number for him. Even if, like everybody on the team, he struggled a tiny bit with uh, conversion, uh, 6 of 10 for RJ, not the number that you want to see. But, you know, the, the process is there at least. So hopefully he'll start making more of those going forward. Uh, it's nice to see RJ, you know, making all these these great crafty moves around the rim too. One of my favorites from him was a spin move on Tobias Harris in the second quarter. Uh, finishes real smooth off the glass. I mean, he's just, his footwork is impeccable. He's he's really finding ways to kind of make up for the fact that he's not this explosive athlete. And we talk about this all the time, but RJ kind of plays uh, sort of older than he is. You know, he's only 21. He's in his athletic prime. You know, he, he is obviously a great and phenomenal athlete with great endurance and everything, but he plays very below the rim. And we're really, I think, now starting to see things come together where a lot of these attempts where he used to get blocked, you know, in his earlier seasons and his first two years around the rim, he now has, you know, crafty moves cooked up to sort of create that space for himself to use his, you know, broad shoulders and his arms and his body to create the space that he needs to get up a clean attempt pretty much every time. And it's, I mean, obviously he had the, the uh, career high 40 plus point explosion against the Heat the other night, but it showed through in this Sixers game as well, particularly as he was able to generate free throws. And just like everything else that's been going great for RJ since uh, the calendar turned over to 2022, I was curious. I looked up how many free throw attempts he's averaging since the year turned over, and he's at 7.2. So it's, it's nice to see him finally getting rewarded for the free throws and really – you know, starting to get almost that superstar treatment as we see him sort of getting into a zone of potentially being uh, taking a star turn, I guess I should say. Uh, if you extrapolated that 7.2 free throw attempts after the whole season, he would be tied with John Morant for sixth in the NBA. And that would be behind only two of the guys who's facing in this game, uh, Joel Embiid and James Harden, as well as Giannis, uh, DeMar DeRozan and Luka Doncic. So, I mean... Pretty amazing company there, and it really just shows how much RJ is starting to solidify himself, that he's starting to get calls at the level of guys like that um, and generating the the free throw attempts by getting inside and, and really, you know, leveraging his body into some, some great, uh, you know, attempts there. I will say, though, I mean, uh, one thing that was a little annoying to me during this broadcast, I, I just think they were celebrating – the free throw drawing so much uh, Doris Burke and Mark Jones, just constantly praising James Harden and Joel Embiid. And, and sometimes the Knicks too. I mean, they were, they were talking up, you know, RJ Barrett a pretty good amount and, and Julius Randall to some degree, but like just for drawing free throws. And, you know, I understand that it's sort of an art form to a degree, but I think there's a little too much celebration of it. You know, the game was supposed to be getting, faster this year and was supposed to have less foul calls and more just basketball uh, thanks to the new rules. And I don't know, to me, it just sort of feels like 
you know, the announcers are celebrating the fact that that free throws are such a huge part right now. And the officiating seems like it's sort of taking a step back towards where it was last season and before. And it almost seems like, you know, all this progress that they made earlier in the season where guys were complaining about it then, it almost seems like the officials now are sort of caving and, and making some of the same calls as last year and years prior. I, I am kind of intrigued to see how it's going to work out for the uh, for the Sixers, though. You know, that James Harden sometimes in the playoffs has struggled with his uh, free throw heavy style to sort of generate offense in the postseason uh, because the, you know, the whistle gets a little, little tighter. You know, they don't call as many fouls in the postseason. Same thing for Embiid. A lot of his, uh, you know, his diet and leading the NBA in scoring this year has been free throws. So I guess we'll see how that all works out. Um, I am going to talk about Emmanuel quickly, how he really found his groove versus his ex-Kentucky teammate Tyrese Maxey in just a moment. But I did want to remind you all that today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. And this is the time of year that I've pretty much given up on my New Year's resolutions, but not this year. I am sticking to my resolution to eat right thanks to Built Bar because it almost feels like it's not really a resolution because I just love eating Built Bars. And I don't know if you guys have tried Built Bar Puffs yet, but if you haven't, you're missing out on one of the best things that Built Bars have to offer. They're the first ever protein-infused marshmallow, and puffs are fluffy and marshmallowy. They're not just a protein bar. They're a treat, and they're covered in 100% real chocolate, just like all Built Bars are. All those got that yummy, yummy chocolate. Puffs are a fan favorite, too, with some incredible flavors. They have yummy cinnamony churro, which is definitely one of my favorites, coconut marshmallow, which you already know I'm all about. So I love my coconut bars and banana cream Baha'i. They're all so good. They're going to be your new favorites. All Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. And they're low calorie, high protein, and replace your candy bars. You know, you don't need to eat candy bars anymore. You can just eat Built Bars. They taste like a candy bar, but they give you protein and not a lot of the bad stuff. Because they only have 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs. Compared to a whopping 17 grams of protein. So... If you want to get some Built Bars for yourself, go to Built.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, moving to the next bit here. As I mentioned, I want to talk about uh, Emmanuel quickly and Tyrese Maxey a little bit too. You know, I was thinking like early on in this game and, you know, this maybe. Uh, <laughs> age like milk, I guess, uh, throughout the game. But early on this game, I was, you know, I was watching Tyrese Maxey out there and he's just playing so good. You know, he's, he's playing with a lot of happiness and you could tell just like, I mean, they noted it on the broadcast a number of times that he sort of plays with this like infectious energy. They almost beat a dead horse with it, to be completely honest. There's a few things. So it's like, they brought that up a million times. And then like Mark Jones couldn't stop bringing up like how, uh, was the phrase that he used? He said that it was, uh, uh, I forget, like loud by being quiet. I, I forget what the the analogy was or whatever the saying, but basically, you know, Tobias Harris not scoring, you know, it was speaking volumes or whatever. Like he was loud through not being, uh, through not speaking basically or whatever. Uh, but anyway, so they, you know, they were noting that Tyrese Maxey, you know, he just looks like a, like a happy dude throughout the whole game. Um, and you know, I was watching him thrive and like, he's really become a key part of what looks like a real contender now. You know, I, as much as I dislike the overall free throw, you know, uh, merchant status of, uh, Joel Embiid, 
and James Harden, they are definitely a deadly duo. And Maxi combined with obviously Tobias Harris too, who has his moments, you know, that makes a really formidable core. And Maxi is like really, really having himself a year and it is making that team a lot better. But it was because they took some time, played him through some of the struggles last year, you know, played him big minutes in some games, let him have some time to himself, you know, to sort of work through things. And now it's really paying off, I think. And meanwhile, you know, you look at the Knicks with Emmanuel quickly, it's just, it's kind of disappointing that like quick still struggles to find minutes and isn't really allowed to work through things on this team when this team isn't even a contender, you know, it's like doc rivers is able to find minutes for a developmental guy in Tyrese Maxey, who has taken like a huge leap in his three point shooting this year. Like he shot like 30% last year was not, you know, a particularly efficient player or anything, but they still let him play through some stuff. And this year it's really paying dividends. And meanwhile, Quickly, it seems like, you know, speaking of the joy that Maxi plays with, like, Quickly used to seem like that more. And now I just feel like, you know, even when he's playing well at this point now, he always kind of has this, like, look of worry on his face almost, you know? Like, he, and you can tell in the way that he plays sometimes that it's almost like he's just trying to avoid the hook uh, more so than, than just trying to play his own brand of basketball. So, you know, I don't know. That That's... That's neither here nor there, though, I guess. As I said, the take kind of aged like milk because ultimately quickly did have himself a really good game in this. He had 21 points, five boards, one assist. He definitely could have had more assists if, uh, if you know, some of the guys that he was passing to were finishing the attempts that he was setting them up for. Because uh, he was sort of doing this like the best way I can think of to describe it. And this is obviously a super lofty comparison, but this is always what I, I think of with this player was. He was sort of doing like the Steve Nash thing where he was, you know, probing the defense really well and then getting to the back of the baseline, swinging around and then, you know, drawing the defense in on him and then finding someone to kick to in the corner as they were trying to cover to him on baseline. It was really, really great. I mean, I thought that he was moving the ball. Fantastic. I think that, I mean, you know, speaking of beating a dead horse, like Emmanuel quickly should probably be the starting point guard right now instead of Alec Burks, just because of things like that. You know, how many times you see Alec Burks do something along those lines? It's like none. Uh, Emmanuel quickly is like actively when he's out there trying to generate looks for his teammates. And I think, you know, if some of those shots would have fallen today, he could have potentially had like five or six assists easily in, you know, not a ton of minutes. I think he played, what, 20, 26 minutes. So, I mean, that's... uh, High for him this year, but not high overall. You know, that's not like a a huge amount of minutes. But, um, you know, I I enjoyed a lot of what he was doing, too. He tried to pull out a step back on Harden, which was pretty fun and satisfying. Didn't hit that one. But by far, his best bucket was this and one hanging finish going down the lane. Uh, He did sort of like a rock the baby layup and put that up and and also uh, got the and one on that attempt. Also took it right at Millsap in transition. Uh, Paul Millsap, that is, uh, right after that and made another layup. And, you know, we say this constantly on this show, but, like, that's going to be, you know, getting into the lane and embracing contact is going to be what differentiates quickly from, you know, what he could be versus what he is. You know what I mean? Like, what he could be if he starts embracing that is someone who not only has a a very nice three-point shot that he can either hit, you know, step back, pull up, spot up, whatever, but also someone that can get inside and finish, draw contact, draw fouls. He's obviously very adept with body control and everything else that generating fouls and all that. So 
you know, this is a potential big thing for him. And it was nice to see him pull a couple of those off. And, you know, he got excited, real excited after that one where he, uh, you know, did the rock the baby layup and, you know, kind of worked his way across the lane for that one and, and finished through contact there for the N1. So hopefully we keep seeing more of that from him and hopefully we keep seeing all that emotion and, and just him sort of playing within himself rather than being more reserved like he has been uh, at times this year because that's going to really be a, a big difference maker for him potentially. Then I want to talk about Jericho Sims too, another young player. I mean, had another standout game, uh, his second straight game where he played 18 minutes, but in this one, no points, 10 boards, two assists and a steal and a block in 18 minutes. I thought you did a pretty good job on Joel Embiid. I mean, basically, like, I mean, they, they said on the broadcast, like, he kind of got a lesson in the rip through at one point, and that that was true. You know, there was one like that. There was another one where he just sort of another foul. He fouled out with six fouls uh, right before or just into the fourth quarter. Um, but, like, there was another one where he was sort of went straight up the whole way, and then right the last second moved his left hand in just a little bit. That got him called for a foul. I mean, it's it's all a learning experience for him, but it's important because I, there really are tools with him. You know, he his his leaping ability is insane. His rebounding ability is just crazy, crazy, crazy. His, I mean, eight of his ten rebounds came in just the first quarter, and he's just like constantly. He's always got a stand hand on something. You know, whether he's actually grabbing the board or whether he's just trying to tap it out, he always is in the mix for every single rebound, and it's just. I mean, he's fantastic. I, I really love what he brings to the rebounding aspect of the game, which is something that the Knicks definitely struggle with sometimes when Mitch isn't on the floor. And I think that, you know, Sims is going to give you the closest imitation of that right now. Uh, and also, I mean, I think he's coming along well enough defensively. Like, I, I really find it hard to imagine a world where Jericho Sims hasn't done enough to earn a backup center spot in what, is now increasingly becoming a tank season, whether the Knicks want it to be or not. Uh, but, you know, this is Tom Thibodeau we're talking about, so maybe he hasn't done enough to earn that sort of thing. But I, I certainly hope that he has because, I, you know, I really think that Jericho's looked really good these last couple games, and particularly in this one, I'm like, I could see a world where if you keep giving him some time, sort of like Mitch when Mitch was younger, you know, he would have a stinker and then he would have a great game and, you know, there was uh, there was, you know, some variance to what he did because he was young and he was learning how to how to play in the NBA. And I know Sims is actually sort of an older rookie, but not a guy that came in with a ton of playing time or whatever. And mostly just has a lot of physical tools. But I, I want to keep seeing more of him. I, you know, you know what you have in Taj Gibson. You know what you have in Erlinson and well. And obviously, at this point, you shouldn't be trying to win games anymore because, uh, you know, or, or like playing Nerlens Noel or Taj Gibson in the name of trying to win games. Because I think that the development of some of these guys is a lot more important. And Sims definitely should be uh, an important part of what the Knicks are doing going forward. Because especially with things being murky with Mitch right now, you want to try to see what you have in Sims as much as you can and see if he could potentially be a replacement. uh, Or if he could just be Mitch's backup and you could have two players that bring a similar level of freak athleticism and everything to the game. And great, great rebounding. I mean, there's, there's a lot of possibilities if you keep giving Sims time. Uh, I'll be right back, though, to talk about an intriguing lineup that got to play in this game. Thanks to that foul trouble, both Mitch and Jericho Sims fouling out. So really fun lineup. Got to see the floor that I'm hoping to see more of. Talk about how Evan Fournier's stock is on the rise and some more closing notes for this game. But I did just want to let you guys know that today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. 
football might be over for the season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. It's almost months about to turn over to March, March Madness time coming up. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props, and where the next fired head coach is going to land, BetOnline.net is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds right to Olympic coverage and information. Head to the website today, BetOnline.net, or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, so getting into this final segment here, I got a bunch of little notes I just kind of wanted to want to close up on. You know, a few things that I observed throughout the game. I felt like uh, this was just like a notes game. I don't know. There, there wasn't like no like huge overarching narratives came out of this other than the whole like free throw thing to me. But uh, I'll say this much: I, I know this this wasn't a perfect lineup by any stretch. Uh, but I think that probably could be attributed to the fact that. I really doubt that Tibbs even plays this group of five guys together in practice and was sort of just letting them learn on the fly in the game. But they played a good chunk of the fourth quarter, and I really enjoyed some of what they brought to the floor. Uh, Emmanuel Quickly, R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish, Julius Randle, Obi Toppin. It was really cool. I, I like that lineup a lot. It's a lineup that allows you to potentially play five out if you want because all those guys at least – reputation-wise, are somewhat credible three-point shooters, even if Obi and Reddish, you know, kind of have had their struggles with shooting the ball this year. And I guess that's to say nothing also of Randall and RJ and quickly. But, like, in reputation, you know, they are good three-point shooters, even if the percentages haven't totally uh, bore that out this year. But, I mean, that's such a fun lineup. Think about it. You know, the Knicks have been talking about wanting to run more what better lineup is there than that one to be able to run more, you know, to have Emmanuel quickly who can space the floor and hit transition threes or just hit pull-ups RJ Barrett, who can also pull up pretty credibly or space the floor out to the three point line and wait for a feed from someone who else, who's driving on the break or can just run the break himself and, you know, find a great finish, uh, you know, running down the lane or whatever. Then you have Julius Randle, who you know has said that he really likes pushing the pace, and he's been at his best doing that. Obi Toppin, who uh, you know always is obviously working like a wide receiver, you know, getting out in transition, trying to you know catch that hail mary and get a dunk down the other end. And then Cam Reddish, who I think actually has shown uh, probably some of my favorite moments from him have been you know in transition this year so far since he's come to the Knicks, like just getting out there, pushing the pace. You know, he he's really good at like getting all the way down stopping for a second, making it seem like he's going to reset the offense and then quickly turning on the Jets, getting to the rim. You know, I, I love what he does in transition as well. A lot of merging styles and I think really a good lineup that defensively should be able to hold up too. You know, I mean, I don't obviously, you don't want to have Randall against someone like a Joel Embiid, but, you know, Randall has shown that he's less likely to foul a guy like that. So even if you are facing a dominant big like that, Randall can kind of hold his own physically, at least even if he can't get the best contests up there, but at least then he's not going to be contributing to Joel Embiid getting 27 free throws quite as much, you know? So I, I think that this is a lineup that bears testing. You know, I think it, if Tibbs wants to prove that, you know, everything is on the table and that he's willing to try new things and all this stuff and potentially, try to save his job, which he should be in job saving mode right now and, and trying to do something different to show that 
he's not the coach of a team that loses whatever the Knicks are at now, like 18 of their last 20 or whatever. You know, he, he should be trying stuff like this and seeing what sticks and trying stuff like this in practice and then taking it to the floor. I, I, I think it would be a great idea. I love this lineup. I would love more lineups like it. You know, you could sub in Grimes for Reddish if you want to, all that kind of stuff. I mean, there's a, a lot of different possibilities for lineups that look similar to this that could, you know, really maybe win the Knicks a game or two this year if they're able to, you know, embrace that transition style and really get out and, and use the young legs of the guys on their team. Uh, so that's, the, you know, I hope it comes more to fruition. Uh, I really liked Evan Fournier in this game as well. I thought that he really showed his whole scoring package. Um, you know, he wound up final stat line of 24 points, which matched RJ for the the team high. Uh, 9 to 16 shooting, 6 of 11 from three, uh, you know, just I, I think the the type of scoring efforts that you want to see out of Evan Fournier, you know, just that's what he's there for. You know, he's there to hit step backs. He's there to hit spot ups. He's there to put the ball on the floor a little bit. Uh, he did a little bit of that, too. And I, I thought that he was doing a good job moving the ball when he had to. He was doing a good job shooting confidently when it was time to shoot confidently. And I, I will say this much, you know, one thing that I think is going to be really positive down the stretch of the season, I think that Fournier is going to play himself back into being at the very least a neutral contract, but at best, and I think this is this could potentially happen, a, a positive value contract where you start looking at him and saying, yeah, you know what? Not too bad for $18 million a year. Like this is basically what the Knicks signed up for. And, you know, I'm not saying that they should then trade him. You know, there's something to be said for keeping him then because he's playing up to his contract. But I don't think, you know, I think that it was smarter the Knicks at the deadline to not like attach assets to him or something just to move off the money, because I think that he's really starting to play his way into the, in the, the conversation of some team, you know, if the Knicks do decide to move on from him by like the summer, he should have, I think positive value or at least neutral value where you're not going to have to like, you know, pay some team a bunch of second round picks or something just to take him. Uh, I think that he's he's proven to be just as useful as we thought uh, he was going to be now that he's finally sort of getting comfortable with Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett and sort of the role that the Knicks have him in, which is less of an alpha role than he was used to and more of a role where he just kind of has to be a star in his role, so to speak, rather than like a a, a minor star on his own like he was with Orlando, uh, which was something he sort of struggled with with Boston last year too. Uh, I also, you know, Got to give a shout out to RJ Barrett. He continues to take the challenge of of guarding the other team's best player in this game. Obviously, guarded James Harden quite a bit, and Harden had himself a pretty good game. You know, uh, I mean, it, it, Harden has some really great statistical games, so it's not like uh, you know for anyone else, twenty nine points, sixteen assists, ten boards, and five steals is like probably one of their best games of the season. Harden is obviously like a top ten player in the NBA. That's sort of just another day at the office for him sometimes when he gets on these really crazy streaks where he's just getting triple doubles, you know, dishing assists like mad. Um, But I thought that RJ actually did a pretty good job on him. Uh, If you go by NBA's, the NBA's data that they provide, uh, Harden has been guarded by RJ Barrett for about 10 minutes and 20 seconds total this year. And Harden has shot five of nine. So that's obviously over 50% with RJ on him. And his dish eight assists, but uh, I think the the real important thing with RJ is that uh, he has not drawn a free throw off of RJ. And already noted, he drew a good amount of free throws in this game. None of them came from RJ Barrett. And you know he 
RJ basically just forced him to be a shot maker. And I think that's what he does to a lot of guys. And I think that's why some guys end up struggling a little bit because they're not able to get into that like free throw rhythm of getting to the free throw line, hitting a couple free throws. Then all of a sudden you're hitting a mid range shot, a three point shot, whatever, you know, they're not able to really establish that rhythm against RJ. He's just, he plays clean defense. He doesn't, you know, hack at guys so much. He mostly just keeps them in front of him, puts his hands up. And you know what? If James Harden occasionally hits one of his step back threes on you, but you had a hand in his face, you did everything that you could do. You know, he's just a fantastic scorer and you just got to try to make him as uncomfortable as you can and hope that maybe he cools off a bit. So I thought it was really good by RJ. I, I love him continuing to take these, uh, take these challenges I also liked uh, having, I mean, this goes with that lineup that I was talking about, but I liked having uh, Cam Reddish and RJ play together and then having Reddish sort of spell RJ. So like having Reddish come in first and play some with RJ, you know, at the end of the first quarter, beginning of the second or whatever, same thing in the second half. And then when RJ goes to sit, slot Cam into his spot. I think that's a smart way to use them. I hope that's how Tibbs keeps doing it, you know, kind of having Reddish spell RJ like that. I know normally that would be Grimes. Uh, but maybe there could be a world where we could have Grimes and Reddish playing uh, at the two and the three and, you know, quickly at the one, especially with Rose now going to be out for a while longer. So I, I think this it could be a potentially really good uh, development here if, if Reddish can keep kind of coming in and spelling RJ, sort of trying to play his role in the offense to a degree, although obviously he's not performing at the level of RJ right now. But, it, you know, I, I think that's a good way to sort of establish a role for him off the bench is to give him sort of that bench RJ role. Um, and just a couple other, couple other notes, uh, 18 turnovers, really not good for a team that struggles to score, especially in the second quarter. I just really thought that the Knicks, uh, the Knicks kind of shot themselves in the foot. Like the game kept being close pretty much right until the end. You know, the Knicks would get it within four or five points, you know, and it was, it was a winnable game for large stretches. And in the second quarter, they really, I thought had an opportunity to, seize momentum, you know, in a meaningful way. Like Philly started playing kind of sloppy, but unfortunately the Knicks just decided to play sloppy right back and turn the ball over a bunch. And they blew what could have been a lot of good opportunities. Sometimes even, you know, generating a turnover themselves and then turning it immediately back over to the Sixers before they even finish their transition opportunity. So, you know, you're not going to get anywhere with 18 turnovers uh, and 11 turnovers in the first half. Um, but, you know, between that and the missed free throws, you know, it's just like the little things keep killing the Knicks this year. And if they hadn't turned the ball over 18 times and if they hadn't missed almost half their free throws, then maybe we're looking at a different, you know, final score here. And maybe the Knicks came out on top. But we'll never know because this team just continues to, at times, play some real – well, not at times. A lot of the time. Most of the time, probably. Play some pretty – uh pretty uninspired or uh, uh, lackadaisical basketball, unfortunately. And then uh, I guess my final note here, I'll just say there were way too many Philly fans in Madison Square Garden uh, for this game. I mean, there was like an audible MVP chant for Joel Embiid on the broadcast. Uh, and knowing ESPN, they might have tried to pipe that up. So who knows? Uh, but there was, it was loud. It sounded very loud. And they were showing a lot of Sixers fans in the stands. Uh, luckily, Knicks fans sort of wised up to what was going on and started loudly booing every time the Sixers fans would try to start any sort of chant. But I don't know. It's weird seeing MSG get invaded. It doesn't normally happen. There was like a few too many Nets fans in there the last game against the Nets too. So 
not super fun. Not not great seeing uh, MSG treated like the uh, the place to go visit and cheer for your team. So, but I guess that'll happen in a lost season. You know, a lot of people throwing their tickets on StubHub or whatever. So, anyway, I think that's it for me for this episode. Uh, thank you all for listening. We'll be back with some more great episodes for you guys this week. I think Gavin tomorrow is going to have a little little potential offseason talk about a certain New Orleans Pelican uh, with Jake Madison, the host of Locked on Pelicans. So definitely check that out. And we'll have more coming for you guys this week, including some more game recaps. So thank you all for listening. I'll talk to you all soon. Peace out.